welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Welcome, everybody. The session that you are sitting in right now is titled Spirituality versus Religion. It says most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. That's on the big book, page 568. Religion isn't necessarily what we're talking about when we discuss spiritual growth. Learn how religion and spirituality can intersect in essay. My name is Dennis W. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hi, Dennis. This is Matthew F. He joins us from San Antonio. Please take a moment to silence all electronic devices. If you need to use yours during this meeting, please take it outside. We ask that you not make any personal recording of this or any meeting. Please join me in a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. In the spirit of carrying the essay message, this meeting is being broadcast live on the internet and is also being recorded. If you are not, if you are not sure your share will be appropriate or on topic, please participate by listening. The broadcast and recording equipment will not be turned off for any reason. If you wish to share, please speak directly into the microphone so the listener can follow you. If you wish not to be recorded, we invite you to participate by listening or attending another session. Please do not touch any of the recording equipment. One small uh, change to those instructions. Rather than use the mic, we're going to ask you to write down your question on the paper on this front table on the left side of the room. If you have a question, and those questions will be brought up to the table and we'll work them in as we can. Of course, feel free to use your own paper, but the questions need to find their way up here to the table. We're also entertaining questions from around the world online, and so they may be arriving also. And when those questions do arrive, the gentleman here to my right will be writing them down and putting them on the table here also. We will each share based on our experience, strength, and hope for about 10 minutes on today's topic. Uh, Matthew's going to begin when he's finished, then I'll take my turn. I will be uh, timing him, he'll be timing me, so that we make sure that we leave some time for you. Matthew? Matthew? 
Well, good afternoon. Glad you guys are here. Um, I'm going to read something, a couple of things from the big book and maybe something from the 12 and 12. This is from There is a Solution on page 24, 25. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. I'm skipping a couple of pages and going over to page 27. Some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with a doctor. And I'm skipping a paragraph now. Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been incurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics or sexaholics may have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. In fact, I've been trying to produce in you such an emotional rearrangement within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I've never been successful an alcoholic of your description. When I turn to page um, 85, says, it's easy for us to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for, for trouble if we do so. And here it's alcohol, but we could say lust is a subtle foe. We are not cured of sexaholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. And finally, uh, if circumstances weren't, I'm on page 87, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right and make use of what they offer. So we're talking about spirituality and religion. And in I think in the title it says spirituality versus religion. And, and I don't want to put them as being oppositional to each other, but to recognize that We speak in here of a spiritual program, not a religious program. And yet, uh, our our literature tells us to make use of religious authorities when it might be helpful for us. Um, In my uh, occupation, I'm one of those religious authorities. And so, um, sometimes I get asked those kinds of questions. How do we do this? How do we make this walk? So let me back up and just tell you just very quickly... For me, um, step two was a vital step that I missed when I first entered into the the rooms of recovery. 
I did not, I, I just assumed that I already had a higher power. I had a power greater than myself that was going to restore me to sanity. I completely missed that restore me to sanity part. I just had a, a greater power. Um, but as one of my sponsors said to me one time, well, how's, how's he working for you? Uh, because I wasn't very sober at the time. And, uh, and I really had to ask myself the question, what do I really believe about this higher power? Um, and so I had to look at the spiritual nature of this program, which is to restore me to a right relationship with my higher power. Um, isn't that what we ask for in step 11? You know, we sought through prayer and meditation uh, to renew our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. I'm asking for a deeper relationship. Um, and so for me, the 12 steps and recovery have not been oppositional to my faith formation, to my walk of faith. They've actually been informative. They've helped me understand much in a much more clear way the God of my own understanding. Um, and I, rather than having to take the God that I grew up with, well, let me, let me say, I think the God I grew up with initially was the God my parents wanted me to grow up with. And what I found is a deeper understanding of that God for myself. Um, and I've got all the, you know, I've got the degrees that say that I'm supposed to be an expert on this stuff. But the truth is, is that I've learned more about spirituality from people sitting around the rooms of SA than I ever did when I went to school to study this stuff. Um, I've met some of the most spiritual people in this program. And I think part of that is a result of the incredible humility that it takes to say, I can't, God can, I think I'll let him do that. I was talking to somebody earlier today that, you know, for me the profound aspect of, of this disease is, is that it separates me from God. Uh, when I'm in my addiction, I'm separated from that creator that really wants to have a relationship with me. And when I'm separated from God, I'm separated from all of you all as well. And when I'm separated from all of you all, I'm separated from me. And then when I'm separated from me, guess who has to fix the problem? Me. And so I become my own higher power. I become God in my eyes. And so, and then what I realize is I don't have the power to do that. And so I'm back at step one again. So I go right from, you know, having this relationship to being right back smack in the place of being powerless. But if I can stop that in the middle of that and just simply say, okay, I do have a God who's greater than me, a power greater than me that can restore me to sanity, then all of a sudden the whole spiritual arena opens up. And when I commit, when I uh, get on my knees every morning and I say the third step prayer and I offer my life and my will to God as I understand Him, all of a sudden, 
I'm putting myself back in a right place to be uh, connected to God. So the steps have helped me understand that in a deeper and more profound way. The work of recovery has helped me understand that in a deeper and more profound way. So what do I do in terms of the religious part? Because it's spirit, you know, I get, I get the statement made to me a lot in my professional capacity. Well, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. I'm like, good. I hope you are spiritual. I hope that your spirit is alive and thriving and, and finding connection to the power that created it. And how can you use what you've, whatever your background is in terms of your religious background to help support that spiritual life that's growing in you? And for me, part of the challenge was looking at the, the gods of my own understanding from my childhood and separating the parts that were really just my parents from this God who loved me. And then looking to see how I could take the tools that I've been given in my own life of faith and apply them to the work I'm doing in recovery. And so the short and sweet of it is, you know, the, our literature talks about a daily meditation. Well, part of my daily meditation includes the literature of recovery. Part of it re- includes literature outside of our, our uh, arena of recovery that helps inform me. Um, this is a big book. I have another big book that I read sometimes that gives me information. Uh, I'm quick to make use of tools that are available to me. In my uh, faith tradition, we have the practice of confession, and so I make use of that. I talk to someone openly about what's going on in my life. Not just my sponsor, but someone else who has a spiritual um, relationship with me. Um, I make use of literature that helps me understand spirituality from a variety of different uh, intersections so that I'm not just looking at what I believe, but what other people might believe to help me understand in a deeper way the God that, that I long to have a relationship with. And so I just want to encourage you all, you know, as, as you walk your life of recovery, to look for ways in which you, can too, you too can make use of whatever your faith tradition offers you um, Again, not the religious aspect of it, because I can be just as sick in my religion, uh, but the tools that your, that your faith tradition might offer you to help you grow spiritually. Thanks. Thanks, Matthew. First thing I want to do is a shout-out to my fellows in the Tuesday, Friday noon meeting in Milwaukee. I have about 20 years sitting in that meeting. I don't know what I'd do without those people. So, hello, my friends. Okay, I'm going to start out by just offering a couple definitions because I think it, it provides a context for me to speak within. When I think about religion... I'm thinking about a group of people, usually a large group of people. They tend to be like-minded. They are together to figure out for them what it means to come 
into being, to be created, to go out of being, to die. They resolve all these huge, important questions. They decide pretty much on an answer, and then they support each other in that answer. They feel comfortable as a group in doing that, and I think that in itself is wonderful. When I look at spirituality, I think in terms of something way at the core of the human being, way inside of me. I'm talking about emotions. I'm talking about attitudes. I'm talking about ideas. The kind of things that form my personality, right at my core. The one of the things that I think religion and spirituality have in common is that in both cases, they can be both good and they can also be evil. I mean, we all know what a human being is possible of, of some of the most dear and, and sincere love expressed one to the other. We know that human beings sometimes take each other's lives. We also know, looking at history, that the religions of the world, over a great number of years, have had times where, yes, they've helped uh, large groups of people survive to make their way through calamity, but we also know that lives have been given in the name of their respect of God. So my point is a simple one, both in spirituality as well as in religion, we have the good and we have the evil. So having said that, what I did to get ready for this is I asked myself the question, how was it once for me? And to get at that, I wanted to try to identify some of the negative spiritual attitudes, ideas, emotions that I have and such. And there's three that I can speak to. There could be more. I've made some progress of all of these. They're still definitely a part of me. One of the things I realized that I, I adopted the attitude that for me to be right about spiritual or religious matters, you needed to be wrong. You know, and I even asked myself the question, where the heck did that come from? I mean, geez, when I say it, it seems rather silly. But I think of myself way back as a boy, living in this little farm town in rural Wisconsin, no less than a thousand people. And we actually had our own groups of people. We had the farm kids, and we had the townies. <laughs> Two different groups. We also had the Protestants, and we had the Catholics. Two different ends of town. Well, I don't want to make too much out of that other than to say, where does some of this stuff come from? I don't know if it was in me when I was born. I don't know if I picked it up from my environment. But nonetheless, I realized that I had that as a negative spiritual attitude. Another one is this. I read this in um, um, Recovery Continues. This negative, disconnecting temperament. Here, I can even put it into a phrase, what it means and how it works. You run up against me, I don't like what you're doing. I say in my mind, in my heart, I may not say it to your face, I might even smile, but I say, go to hell. And you're the same as dead. I totally disconnect. I pull away. I don't know where that came from. 
But I do know that that's way at the core of my being. And it's something that I that informs uh, my emotions, and it also informs my choices of behavior. A third one that I I know that it's a part of me that I've worked real hard on is the one that's that's um, it's in the AA Big Book, and it talks about contempt prior to investigation. You want to talk about a person with a rebellious nature? You're talking about somebody who won't even consider a new idea. They won't even look, take time out to look and see the possibilities of an idea that did not originate between this year and this year. Contempt prior to investigation. Okay, what is the good news? The good news is that I eventually worked all my steps, I made connections within my fellowship. I learned how to connect. And through that process, I began to have what is described in our literature, in the big book, as a spiritual awakening. You know, mine wasn't this white light sudden thing. That certainly wasn't my case. But it was gradual and it evolved. To one day, I realized that I had changed. Was I without any of the negative spiritual attitudes that I spoke of? No, they're still in there. I promise you they're still in there. But the difference is today, because of this program, I am aware of them. And when they raise their ugly heads, I can actually use program tools to deal with them. What does that mean to the people around me? I don't lash out like I once did. I don't cause as much harm as I once did. Now, again, I make my mistakes. i got to step ten, step ten them. I need to make my amends and such. But it's such a blessing to me to, with, to extract out of my existence a lot of that chaos. The chaos that was a result of those negative spiritual attitudes informing my behaviors. So... For a moment, I just want to talk about the third step. What does this third step say to us? That we turned our our will and our life over to God as we understood Him. That will part, that will part, I really think that what they're speaking to are the attitudes, and they're speaking to the ideas, and they're speaking to the emotions that I just got done talking about. And when they're saying, turning my will and my life over to the God as I understand them, I think the life part of that is the aggregate of all the behaviors that, that constitute my life. You know, it's the choices I made. And to me, all of a sudden, this program gave me a much deeper meaning about how that works within me. And that, in fact, is, was the beginning and it still is the spiritual awakening that I am experiencing. So I see most things. I have the privilege of being a sponsor. Uh, Over the years of sponsoring, I've sponsored people from all different kinds of faiths and such. I've had the privilege of being exposed to a whole bunch of different ways of thinking about things. I listen to their stories. I take time out to ask about their traditions and their rituals and such. And I found by, uh, and my observations are thus. 
Okay, thank you. Most things religious are external to the person. They are rule-based. It's kind of like an agreement amongst people, like-minded people. This is how we're going to conduct ourselves. This is what we believe. And that's all good. That's fine. And when I, the spiritual tends to be internal, that core that I was talking about before. I have journeyed with sponsees who practice a very um, strict religious existence. They follow all the rules of their religion, and yet they say to me, I'm dead inside. They can't hold on to their uh, sobriety. I have people who, like Matthew mentioned, that say, well, I'm a spiritual person, but they don't have a religion, and so they tend to wander. They don't have a, a set path. So where I want to conclude is, I think the luckiest of all of us are the people who find their way through this program to a spiritual awakening and they take that spiritual awakening and look again, look once again, look with new eyes, fingers out of their ears, at the religion that they were a part of or are considering to be a part of. And for me, it looks completely different. I chose to convert to Catholicism at the request of my wife when our children began to be born. And it made good sense, and it still makes good sense to me. But it's not something that I could continue to participate in 20-some years later. At least, that's what I thought. I was mad. They're this, they're that. They're all kinds of things. But the blessing of this program, and this is where I want to end, because of the spiritual awakening that's slowly evolving within me, because my eyes are opening and my fingers are coming out of my ears, I can now go back to that faith and listen to a homily, listen to their stories and go, holy smokes, it was all there. I just couldn't hear it for whatever reason. I have this absolutely wonderful person in my life who's also a 12-stepper, um, and he is... Uh, uh, he has introduced to me stories about the from the uh, Christian Bible that have just amazed me how they speak directly to the beliefs of this program, to what this program is teaching me. And I am so thankful for having him in my life, his level of understanding of his religious tradition, the opportunity to see that, yeah, my goal is, if I can ever get there, is I want to be spiritually awake and a part of a religious tradition where I can serve my community. And with that, I pass. So far, I haven't seen any questions show up here, so we invite you to do that. Here's a question that says, Spirit has many meanings. Is spirituality the exclusive province of a God-centered philosophy, or is there a more secular definition which celebrates the spirit of man and the resources intent in the human form? I'm leaving. <laughs> we, just, we just entered the realm of philosophy here. 
Um, you want to tackle that? Okay. I'll 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 share what little experience I have with this. Um, I believe that all of us are spiritual creatures. Period. Um, and and it's the part of of separating spiritual from religion that I think that's really important. That I meet people who are spiritual beings every day. You and I have never met someone who is not a spiritual being. Uh, that's my my personal uh, way of looking at it. I meet people who are spiritually dead every day too. It doesn't mean that they aren't spiritual. They're just they're their spirit just seems to be either dead or dying. Um, and the idea of having a being awake, and maybe instead of dying, maybe asleep is another word, because our book talks about having a spiritual awakening. And I, I think actually what we find if we, if we follow the literature and we listen to the stories of people in recovery is that people have spiritual awakenings with an S on the end that I don't have just one spiritual awakening and now I'm awake. I think sometimes I have many awakenings. And maybe it's from one level of sleep to another level where I'm a little more awake. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of waking up in the morning and you're not quite awake, but you're awake. And then maybe you have your cup of coffee and now you're a little more awake. And then maybe, you know, that somebody's car alarm goes off outside your house and now you're really awake. Uh, and the dog jumps up on the bed, and you're definitely awake now. Those are all different levels of awakening, aren't they? And I think the same thing happens to us spiritually. That if I can wake up spiritually, it may be, uh, I may just be moving from being asleep to kind of groggy at first. But as things clear, I, I be, it, it becomes easier. And all of that happens really it doesn't have to include a particular religious theory or philosophy. I think that people be, can have spiritual awakenings without having to bring um, any religion into it. You know, I I think uh, somebody who 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 walks out. It, I, the, the example I might give is, would be somebody who just recently went to, to the, the zone where you could watch the eclipse, you know, the total eclipse. And for some people, that was a spiritual experience um, that had nothing to do for them in terms of God or a particular religious thing. It just was a spiritual thing. And some of those people maybe woke up for the first time to something that was deep inside them, to spiritual awakening. Um, what we're looking for in terms of our recovery is to be fully awake to the to in our in our recovery we talk about a God of our own understanding. Um, I've heard people say that sometimes the the higher power that they most connect with is the group that they're a part of, the people that they are hanging out with. That for some people that's as close as they're ever going to get to a higher power. Uh, and if that brings them to be a, to be more spiritually awake, uh, I, I can't argue with that. Thanks, Matthew. I've had a, as he's talking, I've had a chance to think about this, and what occurred to me is my I was thinking about my agnostic and atheist friends in this program, and it occurred to me 
the ones that come to mind, they're kind, they care, they take time to connect to me and to others that I witness, they want the best for us as a group, and I think all of those things define the very best outcomes of spirituality. So I want to believe that, yeah, yeah, in the question which celebrates the spirit of man and the resources uh, inherent in the human uh, form, yeah, I, I do think that this is this is quite possible that spirituality can exist uh, outside of an organized religion. a question that says I go to confession regularly confessing lust and sexual acting out I also have worked steps 4 and 5 with several sponsors but I still struggle with long terms long lasting sobriety what is your opinion am I doing what am I doing wrong wow boy that's a that's a great question um, I think a lot of us go to confession uh, and, and a lot of us are in faith traditions where the expectation is is that you go to someone else and you and you tell them what what you're doing um, and with in in step five it says we admitted to God to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs um, personal experience is that I often practice the first two of those. I admitted to myself and to God the exact nature of my wrongs. It was a different thing when I sat down with another person who knew me and said, oh, and and I had to be actually honest with them and say, this is the exact nature of my wrongs. And maybe, maybe that's part of the, the, the question is, am I confessing the exact nature of my wrongs? Am I being totally honest? Because for years, I would go to a, a confessor and I would say, well, I'm having trouble with lust again. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I kind of looked at some porn. Um, yeah, and, and uh, I got angry at my wife and, you know, I yelled at my kids. And, and then I'm off of the, I get off of the lust aspect as quick as I can. Because I don't really want to admit the exact nature that I actually spent all night looking at pornography or that I, uh, I not only included pornography, but then I masturbated to it and then I, you know, whatever it was that I was doing, I may not ex want to admit the exact nature of my wrongs. And there's something profound when I actually tell another human being, this is exactly what I've done. Because what it does is it breaks that cycle for me of the shame that's inherent in my acting out. Um, ultimately, if I'm struggling, though, if I'm going and confessing over and over and over again and, and nothing's changing, then maybe I need to go back and look at steps one, two, and three and say, what am I missing in those steps? Is there some place where I still think that I'm powerful? Um, do I really believe that God can and will restore me to sanity? 
have I really actually turned my will and my life over to the care of God? Because if I've turned my will over, those thoughts, ideas, and acts, um, I loved what you said, I, I can't recreate it, but thoughts, ideas, attitudes, attitudes. Um, if I'm turning those over to God, then I'm basically saying, you get to choose how I'm going to respond to these things. So that means that when I'm sitting in front of the computer, if I've turned my will and my thoughts over to God, then I have to say, you know, I've turned this over to God. Maybe I don't have the right to even press the on button on the computer today. Because maybe my attitude and my act and my thoughts are, I just want to go there. And so maybe it's it comes back down to that aspect of surrender. Um, I don't think there's an easy answer to it. Uh, but I think exact nature is really important. But when I'm clear about exactly what I've done, and i tell you what, I hate calling my sponsor and telling him the stuff I've done or calling my spiritual advisor and saying, can I meet with you because I just need to get this stuff out in the open. I don't like to do that. Uh, but the truth is, once I've done it, I feel so much lighter and so much better. Um, it's one of the gifts to me. It's one of the great gifts to me of this program. Thanks. I also have work steps four and five with several sponsors, but I still struggle. Where my thoughts went to was, what about six and seven? In six and seven, in six was a was a... It was a challenge for me because in six I had to first of all accept how I was. These are my character defects. But what was even harder for me to accept in step six is I liked most of my character defects. I liked them. I liked, they made me feel powerful and such. And I wanted to hang on to them. So I had to get really honest with myself about, you know what? The issue, at least in part, is I want to hang on to these. But that's the whole idea behind the sixth step is to get ready to give them up. And I eventually work my way through that. So then I come to the seventh step, and and I think it has direct connection to the spirituality that uh, can evolve within any of us. At that time, in the seventh step, I have to turn to my higher power, by whatever definition, my definition, of course, and say, you know, HP, I give you this, but I also had to find a way to open my heart and let my higher power infill the void that was created by me giving away my favorite character defects. I mean, it, it, we can observe this in nature. There is no such thing as a void that will go unfilled. And so if I give it away for today, this 24-hour period, I have to let it be filled with something else. And until I was ready to let God's love, my higher power, any way we want to express that, fill the void, I wasn't making any progress. And so my encouragement to you is if you did a rock-solid fourth and fifth, do a rock-solid sixth and seventh. We've got a couple of more questions up here. Uh, the next one is, uh, how can I expect spirituality to help me 
when I fall short of my religious requirement. This is Alex in uh, UK in London asking this question. I have a friend in in San Antonio who says, if I just pray harder, if I just uh, say the right prayers, um, you know, this should go away. Uh, And I don't think that that's really exactly what this question is asking, but there's a sense of it. There's a difference between fulfilling all righteousness, as we might say, or, or doing all the right things, and having a spiritual connection with your higher higher power. They're not exclusive of one another. I might find a deep connection with my higher power uh, in the midst of um, the, the, the requirements of my religion. But if I wear those, I have a friend who, who says, if I put that on like a like an overcoat, it might help me. You know, an overcoat is going to keep me warm, it's going to keep me dry, it's going to protect me. But I can also wear that just like a straight jacket. And it's going to keep me bound up and tied up, and I'm going to have a hard time doing anything. The only thing that I know that I do correctly and perfectly in any part of my life is that I'm imperfect. That's the only place where I find any kind of perfection. And when I have requirements, the implication is that I've got to do it right. Um, And the only thing I do perfectly is that I'm imperfect. Um, And and when I can say that, then all of a sudden there's a freedom to recognize, you know, I may not fulfill the requirements perfectly. Um, For me, there's an element of you know, perfectionism. And for me, perfectionism just simply says, I've got to do it the right way. And what, you know, how many of you have heard this before? You know, there's so many different sponsors and sponsees out there that say, well, my sponsor does it this way. Well, my sponsor does it this way. Well, this guy's sponsor does it that way. Well, her sponsor does it this way. And you know what? We're all finding sobriety, aren't we? And and we don't do it all the same way. Um and I'm looking out here and I'm guessing, you know, there's at least a half dozen different faith traditions represented in this room right now, at least. And we all have different requirements expected of us by our faith traditions. Some might be more strenuous than others. But in recovery, all that's required is a willingness to be open to the, to the God of my own understanding who's going to give me a spiritual awakening. Um, and I want to make sure that I'm separating that from the requirements placed on me by my religious observations. I can have perfect religious observation and be miserable in my disease. And I can have perfect religious observation and be happy, joyous, and free. I think it comes back down to the attitudes and the ideas that I take on inside me. Um, am I using this like a like a, a loose fitting garment that helps guide me and direct me, or am I tying myself up in it like a straitjacket? Take the next one. How about if we just take one each? Okay. Okay, that was from Alex S. in the uh, United Kingdom in London. Uh, welcome aboard, Alex S. 
this is from Stephen P. in Kansas via the Internet. Steps one through three have got me closer to my God than I got from religion. Have you experienced this as well? I am a minister. Yes, this is exactly my experience. It, it As I said earlier, I missed most of what my religion was trying to teach me. It wasn't until I discovered it here in the uh, new attitudes, new um, ideas here in the 12-step program that I was able to go back to my church of origin, my church of choice, and begin to hear what had already and always been there. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Okay. How did you remove the contempt prior to investigation? I have prejudice against religion. As soon as I hear something I don't like, I cringe. I want to be open, but it's difficult. How do I get over that difficulty? I think I have to give a very simple answer to this, um, and I and I don't want it to. I don't want you to think that that I'm dismissing the question because I think it's an important one. But it's a decision. It comes down to a decision that there's a point in time where I had to decide. Doggone it! Now that I'm aware of the fact that I do this, and this is how I've been keeping the world at arm's length and keeping myself in isolation, I have a choice. I can make a decision. I can either not, I can, I, when I become aware of the fact that I am uh, conducting myself as is meant by contempt prior to investigation, upon the moment of awareness, I can surrender it. I can turn it over to my higher power and say, hey, HP, please take this from me. Just give me one day without this so I can make some progress. This next one is, I think, a little bit more of a comment, but I'll try to address it as a question as well. Confessing my actions is not the same as admitting the exact nature of my wrongs. I must explore the underlying issues, shame, selfishness, self-centeredness, fear, insecurity, etc., to look from another perspective to actually change the way I look at myself and others. It's a great statement. Um, I think, and just the, to clarify, I can I can go and confess what I've done without really confessing the exact nature, maybe not of my wrongs, but of my heart. You know, because really, um, I can I can focus on the actions. And never focus on the actual attitude in the heart. Um, and I, you know, I can I could pretty rationally confess masturbation is just simply a physical aspect of something that I did without talking about the condition of my heart while I was doing it. And I think that's an important part. You know, that if I, and it may get back down to those root causes for, for why some of us struggle with sobriety, is I might say, well, yeah, I masturbated again. And, or I, you know, looked at porn, or I visited a prostitute, or whatever it is that we do. You know, we have so many different ways that the disease trend, you know, works its way out in our lives. 
But when I get down to the actual nature of my heart, what's actually the attitude inside of me in doing those things, if I can get to that, then that's a different exact nature of my wrongs. Because one may just simply be, you know, I heard a speaker one time talking about visiting a prostitute. He said it's just it was just a transaction. He said it was as simple as like going to the bathroom. It was just that. That's what I did. And I thought that doesn't get to the exact nature of the wrong in in that transaction. And so it's it's that place of figuring out what what's really underneath that. Uh, some of us talk about peeling an onion. So, you know, if I can peel away the, that action and then look what's underneath the action, what's the attitude, the idea, the thought process going on? This person is um, saying, my spirit is who I am. The SA program changes who I am, my attitudes, my beliefs. I changed my spirit so to become a better man according to God's will for me. Discuss these ideas. Uh, what comes to mind immediately is something was told to me a long time ago uh, because I was kind of, I was really struggling with the third step and my question at that time, my debate, my my anguish was, how the heck do I understand what God's will is in, in any given moment, in any given situation? And I was given the, the following uh, following test. They said, there's three simple questions that you have to ask yourself. You have to ask yourself, is what you're considering doing or th- or what you're thinking based on truth? If it is based on truth, go to the second question. If it's not based on truth, then you're certainly not considering uh, God doing God's will. The second question is, is what you're considering doing or thinking kind? If, if in fact, it's not kind, then you can stop right there. What you're considering doing or you're thinking is not God's will. Assuming that the first two questions are, are answered affirmatively, then the third question becomes, is what you're thinking or what you're considering doing necessary? And that was the biggest challenge for me to try to get my arms around that. And you know what I discovered? Most everything I was considering doing was not necessary. I, I didn't have to do it. So I could just leave things as they were. No harm was being done. I didn't need to impose my will on anybody. And so those are the kind of things, although perhaps simple, have become very meaningful to me in that context. This would be our last question. This question says, are there clergy support groups within SA? It's two questions. And are there here are any here willing to disclose break anonymity as clergy so other clergy in the room might identify and find support? Um, one of the greatest challenges for me uh, 
with this disease is that I had this disease a long time ago. I was a sex addict before I ever knew I was a sex addict. Um, I knew that there was something going on with me that was wrong uh, before I could ever identify it. In the process of finding recovery, I also wound up going through a discernment process in my denomination, in my faith tradition, uh, to become an ordained person. And in the midst of one of the interview processes for for becoming ordained, prior to ordination, uh, one of the questions was asked, is there anything that you haven't shared with us today that you'd like to share with us? And I took a big, deep, gulping breath and I said, yes. I am a sexaholic, and I struggle with uh, compulsive masturbation and the use of pornography. And I thought, well, that's it. I'm never going to get ordained, and and that's never, you know, this is the end of this process. Um, But there was somebody who came up to me afterwards and said, my job during this whole thing was to sit and listen and to pray. And he said, and while you were answering questions, I saw an image of a rose that was tightly held together. And when you said that this was your issue, that this is what you struggled with, that rose opened up and bloomed. And he said, and when I shared that with the committee, they said, yep, we agree. We think we need to put this person forward. Um, I walked straight out of that meeting into the office of the person who would ultimately be the person who decided whether I got ordained or not, which was the bishop in my denomination, and said the same thing to him. And every place where I have worked after ordination, I have gone into that person's office and said, this is what I am, this is who I am, this is how I'm addressing it. Um, So yes, I am a clergy person. I'm willing to break that anonymity. My the people in in who are above me in my uh, denomination know my story, uh, and I've and I've deliberately gone to them with that because I know that this is an issue that that a lot of clergy people and a lot of religious people struggle with, uh, and if I can be a support to anybody uh, in dealing with this, I want to be able to do that. Okay.
God, God I offer myself to thee to do with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that I could reward them, may bear witness to those I would help, of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Keep coming back, folks. It works if you work it. Thank you all. Those are some tough questions. There are a lot of good questions. Come on up. <laughs> I just don't know. I don't think this is turned on, so I'm going to come down there. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll come over there.
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.